Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show! What is up? Oh, bang at the moon. All you crazy entrepreneurs out there trying to scratch your own itch, howling at the moon, finding your tribe, figuring out how you're going to... How you're going to survive life now that you know you don't like how it is currently. <laughs> it's like, hold on, I want to make more money. I want more freedom. I want life to be more fun. I want to enjoy myself. I want to enjoy the things that I've already accomplished, not just always make myself feel like I'm never good enough again and again and again, uh, which my boss makes me feel or my slight paycheck makes me feel or my commute to work makes me feel or who knows what. Or it's not that bad. For most of us, it's, like, it's not that bad. I can survive it. I can survive it. But there's this little tender flame that's growing and it's like what if maybe i could maybe i like i should try something this would be fun let's make it fun let's make this fun like let's do a business and let's make it fun hey welcome that's the fizzle show let's find out how to make it a sustainable exploration and experiment with progressive failures in the right direction such that the end result is You've got some more freedom, some more income, some more, you know, love, some more joie de vivre in your life, which is, you know, it's the joie of life <laughs> in French. Meaning, you know, joie de vivre, that French term for the, the joie of life. <laughs> I don't know what joie, I don't know, spice of life. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> You're putting a real heavy R on the end of that word. <laughs> joie, joie, sorry, joie, joie de vivre. <laughs> you know that jar de vivre? <laughs> hey, man. Uh, can you help me get the lid off this jar de vive? <laughs> this, this is the Fizzle Show where every week we talk about stuff like this. Um, and I'm joined as always by Corbett Barr and Steph Crowder. How are you guys? Hi, Corbett. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. And Steph Crowder. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to be here, too. I love it. I love it. I love <laughs> one, it. One day, one day we're going to know that, like, Steph's just done. She's just going to You're going to go, hey, how's it going? I'm going to be like, great. Glad to be here. And then Steph's going to go, eh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I could be somewhere else right now. I could be somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we've got an awesome conversation today, which we, like, had to, like, we were talking about it beforehand, and I had, I had to, like, stop it because I'm like, wait, wait, wait. This is good. This is good. This is good. Let's get into it. So what we were talking about is uh, we're going to share we're going to share five ways that you can find content ideas right now. You know, one of the hard things when you're doing a business, when you're doing a blog or YouTube channel, Instagram, right? My wife, she's got this podcast and and her reach has grown so much. And it's mostly from Instagram just because she's posting stuff for her mother birth account there all the time. And it's like generating all this conversation. This is all content. You can call it Facebook, you can call it Instagram, you can call it blogging, podcasting, YouTubing, you can call it all this stuff. It's content, all right? What they are is they're like, th- they're like regular pieces of, regular pieces of entertainment that do more than just entertain me, maybe is one way to think of it, right? And we all who are making content, content marketing is a term that comes from the fact that you can either spend a lot of money on advertising, which is one way to get people to find out about your stuff. A lot of us don't have a lot of money to be spending on advertising or the skill to know yet how to make advertising that actually like gets people to get the results. And so you're actually making money with the advertising, right? So not only do we not, a lot of us not have a lot of money to spend on getting the eyeballs through advertising, but then we don't have the skill that it's actually hard to make that profitable because it costs so much money to do it, right? So there's another kind of marketing called content marketing. And this has evolved sort of naturally with the with the paces of the internet um, because we're all sort of surfing our phones more. We're surfing our internets more. We really are just surfing our phones. Like now my phone is just glued to my hand. We've always got, and, and like, I don't know why I'm, I'm scrolling through Instagram. I don't know why I'm doing that, right? But simply by nature, the fact that I am doing it, people are now creating content that is the kind of thing I want to find in my Instagram feed and I look at it and I go, oh damn, look at that. So like right now, like we were talking before on a on another Instagram oriented uh, conversation a few episodes back, like we were talking about accounts that, that we find we're actually drawn to. Steph, what was the account that you said? I, I never looked it up. I forgot it. It was um, uh, Simplified or something like Simplified? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, it's called Simplified. And and like, tell me about the experience. Like, just for a second, when you're scrolling by that and you see something from them, like, what is an honest? What's the experience you have with their stuff? Okay, well, specifically for that one, they are creators of a product that I just really like and I've liked for a long time, and it's a product that continues to evolve. So whenever I see them posting, it's usually because they have some something new coming out or they're creating something really interesting or better serving their their niche which is productivity or there's like uh features of how people are using the product so it's like a product that i know i like and a brand that i've come to trust so i'm just always curious to see what else they have coming out and how how i can better use the products that i've already purchased from them yeah got it so that's the sort of experience that steph has with one with one you know piece of content right and this is the kind of experience you want like, like notice what she said there she said there's this great product and they're sharing content and i'm interacting with their content it's almost like a way for that product to be reaching out to you right it's a way that the company's getting you to mm-hmm. keep interacting with that product and remembering hey you like this hey you like this hey it's good and that's like the the signal of success with content marketing is if people are enjoying the content that you're putting out, right? So as a business builder, you want to be able to use this, uh, this kind of marketing for your thing because it's, <laughs> it doesn't cost quite as much money, right? It can grow organically. It can, it has the potential to do that. You have a potential to create an account, for example, on Instagram that people are actually pumped when you, when you upload, like update your, add a post to it, right? That's the holy grail of of social media right now is having an account that people are actually wanting to pay attention to. They enjoy it for some reason, right? But where do you come up with ideas for content that people will actually enjoy, that they'll actually find helpful, that they'll actually want. This is the challenge. So today we're going to talk about five different ways that you can you can get ideas for content that might be exactly the kind of thing your audience is looking for. Okay. It's a big, important thing that we all have to learn how to do. And I'm still definitely learning how to do it. I think all of us here are definitely learning how to do it, but we've been doing it for a long time. So we have some, we've at least identified different ways to find some of that content. But before we get into that, that's coming. All right. That's You can just, you can just cash that check right now. That's on, that's on its way. But before we get into that, we want to talk about this converse, this conversation we were having before, which is this big question. And Steph, I'm going to ask you to kick this off. The question is, what makes content grow? This is like, like we all want to make content that is working, right? We all want those accounts that, uh, that a content is coming out from or that those blogs or those podcasts or those YouTube channels, um, to be growing, right? So what makes content grow? What, tell me about this problem. Tell me about like, like why isn't this, this just a thing that everybody knows? Is it, is there like a pat and dry answer to what makes content grow? So, so we were talking about this before and the way I look at it, I think there's a couple different philosophies here. There's a few different ways and I don't, I don't think that there's necessarily a right or wrong and both schools of thought absolutely have their place. So I think when you're thinking about like, all right, I'm going to put content out there. I've got a podcast, blog, Instagram account, whatever it is. You have two different places where you can focus just naturally. You can focus on getting more people. So all the people who are out there, all seven, whatever billion people who are in the world, there's quite a pool to draw from, especially when you've got maybe just a hundred or a few thousand people following you. There's so much opportunity in terms of capturing the attention of people who do not yet follow you and pay attention to you. And I think to be honest, that's probably more where most of our heads gravitate, especially in the beginning. You think like, okay, if I could just get as many people to follow me and pay attention as possible, then I'll be in business, uh, which is valid and has its place. Absolutely. But then there's this other sort of way to grow, this other school of thought that doubles down on the people who are already paying attention to you. And this has been increasingly more interesting to me as a business builder. It's kind of like that obsession-worthy brand. Those, Like what we were talking about with Simplified. Uh, I'm a big fan of their product, but there are people out there who are full-on obsessed with these planners. They're, they're planners, guys. They're like paper planners. What's the big deal? But people are completely obsessed and they'll tell everybody about it and they'll, they'll Instagram the hell out of it and it goes kind of viral within a community. So this other way of looking at growing content more asks the question, how do I create that obsession within the community that I already have and trust that 
these people are going to love me and my content so much that they won't be able to shut up about it. When they go out on the town, they're going to tell people about my podcast. They're going to talk about me at the dinner party or at the business networking meeting or on Instagram, you name it. So that kind of a second approach is more about getting that connection so strong with the the community that you already have, almost taking like a small but mighty approach and just trusting that over time it's going to sort of spread outward from there. So both of these strategies or philosophies, whatever you want to call it, um, absolutely can make content grow. Uh, and both are really, really interesting and have their own merits, I think. Okay, so what I heard there was the difference between these two categories, these two sort of strategies are almost outlooks, right? Um they're, they're sort of they're, they're sort of operating principles that you can use with any of the five strategies we'll be talking about later on. Okay, and these are like sort of they they, they almost seem like meta strategies and, and and really almost like philosophies. Or I would say they might even be something that you might already believe and not know that you believe one or the others of these. Right? I think I've certainly met people who definitely believe the way to grow is you find more people out there. You find more people. Okay. Or there's this other competing thing that I've noticed some very inspired, personally inspiring entrepreneurs thinking. And that is, no, you find more for the people you already have. Right. And I think yeah. there's something that's really inspiring about that second one personally to me right now. Um, just because it feels like it's not so uh, when I get in the mode of going out and finding more 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 people, I, um, it just feels like the work is like never done. Do you know what I mean? It feels like it's like kind of like it can always be better. It can always be more efficient. It can always be more out there. That's what I do personally, because I think I'm so geared towards just focusing on the people that we already have and going deeper and deeper and deeper with, with them, getting more for them, getting more value for them. And now that's fine and dandy. Um, so long as the revenue is supporting that. I think is the mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs can make. Corbett, talk about that maybe for a second. Do you know what I'm, do you, know, do you get what I'm saying? And like, I, I think I personally have made the, the, um, the sort of like the off balance. I've gotten it off balance at times in my life where it's like, I just want to not have to worry about any of the, of the money stuff and just focus on changing people's lives, adding value, focusing on these people. Then the rest of it will come. But it's almost like I had like a naive view of, of money. Does that, does that make sense to you? Well, I, I think that's kind of the classic like creative person standpoint or artist point of view, right? Is that you, you just want to make good stuff and hope that everything falls into place because of that, right? It's like almost like an altruistic view. If, if my stuff is good enough, then, um, then everything else will fall into place. But I think the, the thing that we're talking about, the difference between these approaches also partly depends on the nature of the business you're building. Because, uh, you know, we talked last week with Matt Giovanisi, who, uh, has done a course that we have now inside of Fizzle, um, over at fizzle.co slash SEO. It's an SEO focused course. And in the interview with Matt last week, he mentioned something. I don't know if people caught this, but he talked about the difference between an SEO focused site or approach and what he called a fan focused site or approach. And he actually has built both of those um, himself. But to me, uh, the the SEO-focused approach really makes sense. I mean, it, it can work for all kinds of businesses, but in some businesses that are more transactional in nature, it kind of has to be the, the main approach just because if you think about pool care, for example, Matt's site, it's not as if someone is going to like find Matt's pool care site and then devour everything that he has to say and hang on every word and like, you know, follow his podcast and become obsessed with what he's talking about because pool care is like just something that you want to take care of on Saturday so that you can get back to swimming. It's not like a, a way of life or some kind of transformation that you want to go through that might take many months or years. And, you know, in contrast to that, like if you're talking about building a business um, or helping someone lose weight or find the perfect partner or something like that, these are things that are going to take a lot longer. Or if you're just entertaining someone, those are things that people can come back to the well over and over and over again. And so those lend themselves more to doing the fan-focused approach. Not to say that you can't do the the SEO focused or the let's find more and more people approach because you can obviously. 
Um, but it, it depends on the kind of content that you're putting out there. I, you know, I think with, with Fizzle and the businesses that we've built, we have almost done accidental SEO. You know, we've, we've tried at times to be professional about it. And I think we just have never really had a great SEO strategy. And that's why I'm excited about, um, Matt's course inside of Fizzle because it's, it's pretty simple when you dig into it. It doesn't really have to be all that complicated. But for us, what we've done is, you know, we've written long in depth articles about certain topics and we just have never done that great a job optimizing for keywords or doing research to find out what people are searching for. But then, you know, now years later, we go back and look at our analytics and we see that 60% of our traffic or something comes from Google. So you realize that even though we're not focused on it, it still is a really important part of the strategy. And you just have to wonder if we had optimized all of that, would we have, you know, double the amount of traffic or something? Mm. Would it be bigger than it is? And it's hard to say, but Again, you know, I think what you're, you're talking about, Chase, just that, that natural wanting to give things back to your audience and, and helping specific people without worrying about the keywords and the, the minutia of it just feels so good and true and natural. And, and obviously we've done plenty of that. You know, those are the kinds of posts that you write, um, like write epic shit, for example, a post that I wrote like eight, seven years ago, which people talk about. Now, because it, it made an impact on people, but that's not something that drives search traffic because people aren't sitting there typing it into Google. So I think like Steph said at the beginning of this, these aren't necessarily opposed to one another, these two approaches. They're both important, um, but it is kind of hard to get your mind wrapped around one versus the other and maybe to do both well at the same time. Yeah, definitely. Now, I feel like people need to know about this article that Brendan Hufford wrote. You might have mentioned it. You, I, I, there was a, a short section in there. You, you broke up when um, we were talking about, okay, so the previous episode we just recorded with Matt Giovannisi is all about the the these fundamental sort of perspectives you, you should know about on SEO. That conversation is continuing into this episode. So if you haven't listened to the last episode, uh, go listen to that. This uh, Right now we're on episode 286, so that was 285. Then another thing that was just published on the Sparkline, the blog over at Fizzle, is um, this article, this massive article, this great article that Brendan Hufford just wrote for uh, or about. It's called Epic Content Marketing or Five Practical Ways to Write Epic Shit. Pardon my French, but that's the name of the post. Um, so the 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 point here is is that in this article. Brendan kind of lays out a lot of things that if you haven't read this yet, you definitely need to get into it. Go check it out. It's a really great, like kind of high level view at these kinds of strategies. And I do. Okay. So coming back to our conversation, the, um, the classic creative dilemma. Hold on. I'm, I'm taking off my, my sweater jacket because I'm just, I'm starting to get heated up over here. You guys, I'm excited by this because I think there's a lot of people in the audience that know that, that, feeling really well. I always meet people when I'm out about it at conferences, when people like go like recognize me from fizzle in some way, shape or form. A lot of the people who are drawn to me have that exact thing because I, for the last five years have been just this like broadcasting signal of of like, I'm struggling with this. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like this is, this is something I'm trying to manage the, this, like this desire to do something really well. I, I have this, um, I have this almost religious belief that like the thing I need to be doing is to be using my heart to build things that are, that are valuable to people. Right. Um, and everybody's heart is different. Mine is shaped by my own childhood and my own experience or, or inexperience of love or whatever. Right. This is classic with a lot of creative living stuff is there's a, there's a lack, there's, there's a, an experience of, of felt lack. And so we put that into our work because then when we get an audience to pay attention to us in a certain way, it's like it fills, it starts giving us some of that feeling that we, we feel like we didn't get enough of or something. Um, this is very high level sh- <laughs> psychological shamanic things to me, but it's, that's part Part of that's another like a part of of the things that I'm so interested in and I've only gotten more interested in as I work with entrepreneurs because I see that it's this kind of system, this kind of built-in bias that can be both our greatest strength and our greatest weakness, right? 
it's like an addiction of some kinds. Like sometimes, sometimes you, you know, it's just helpful to get on those pain meds to get through uh, a challenging time when you're going through something. And other times, as we have really close personal experience with in on this very call, like it, it, it becomes too powerful. It becomes something that I lose myself to this, this, this mechanism of sorts. I, I'm sorry, Sam, I didn't actually mean to walk into that. I, I just realized that halfway through that like, oh fuck, that's so heavy. That's so, so heavy. Um, <laughs> please forgive me for that. Um, no worries. Uh, but this, this compulsion to th- th- bring it back, bringing it back to this conversation. This to me is why this conversation is so interesting because I feel that it works on very deep levels inside of us. And that the more we can get to what is this third point we're about to get into, and that Corbett already started actually talking about, it, the, the maybe the more we can find our balance in this. When you realize that both of these strategies are, are viable and valuable, and that, frankly, on some businesses, one might be way more valuable than another, right? Like you were talking about Matt's pool care business, that's very, uh, that's, I'm sorry, I don't know. It's hard for me to get back out of <laughs> thinking and talking about your, your brother stuff. I, I feel really sad that just to like feel that again. Um, I'm sorry I did that. <laughs> you don't have to it's feel okay. It's okay. Chase. <laughs> yeah, you're okay. It's just heavy. It's just heavy. Cause we all have these kind of addicted, it is heavy. addictive. I have my addictions, you know what I mean? And I know how powerless I kind of am to those and I'm, and I'm watching those. And learning over time, because a lot of times they, they're, a lot of times they're just a clutching at something and not the, um, like I, I can do the things I want in my life. Like I can be the person I want to be in my life. And to bring it back to this conversation, like maybe our businesses can work the way we want it to work, right? If we pay enough attention and get maybe unclenched from our own addictions enough. Now, this is the talking at a, such a deep, like a, such a deep dank level that a lot of, a lot of people are, are like, just like that, that got weird. A few of you are like, what? Yes. Yes. This is what I want from my business is I want to be able to actively, authentically be myself and do it. And I think a lot of us find in that second approach way more of a feeling of comfort there. I just want to give value to the people I already have and not be constantly hungry uh for more people but this this point that corbett was just making about like hey maybe these aren't competing ideas right this is a really big point for some of us we need to really hear this that like okay maybe they aren't competing ideas maybe some businesses work better and maybe some entrepreneurs work better in one modality instead of the other but i tell you what like matt's pool business stuff is so is like at least I want to make this story up that part of the reason why that's so successful is because he's doing it his way. He's not just following some rote formula of how you do a content business, which is a lot of times how SEO content, like how to do SEO content, uh, comes off to me like that. Like, like all you have to do is follow this formula and the sheeple will just, they, they can't, they're powerless to it. It just works. You know what I mean? I don't know. What, what, what do you guys, mm-hmm. what do you, Steph, what are you hearing in this? Where do you think this wants to go? Yeah, I want to, I want to add something that's really interesting, kind of piggybacking on on what you just said, and also just this that whole uh, conversation that you just started. I think part of what this what what we need to discuss with this is these two different strategies Corbett brought to the table that it may have to do with the business itself, which I agree with. I'm going to also add that it probably has to do with the person running the business. So Chase, you talked about how, you know, you naturally gravitate to the second approach, which is the, the fan obsession or the getting the most out of the people who are already following you. I tend to go that way as well. And Corbett's probably a weird hybrid who can do both because he's analytical, but also is really great at serving the community that we already have. I think that probably comes from our own personal preference in terms of how we like to get up every day and do the work. Like for me, I'm such a people person. I am an extrovert. I love conversation, particularly deep conversation. So when I see that happening in my community and I see a a opportunity to take that and go deeper with it, that's like a no brainer for me in terms of how I create content. That is not the case for everybody. There's a lot of people out there who are far more, I don't know if introverted is the right word or just, that's just not their cup of tea. It's not what they want to be doing. I have plenty of friends and people that all of us know who 
really don't want to be running a business that's that people focused. And that's perfectly okay as well. So if you look at that article that we mentioned from our friend Brendan on our website, the Epic Content Marketing article, he goes into so much detail. You can feel that this is more than just a strategy. Like, and we know Brendan, he's a friend of the show, friend of Fizzle. He's an analytical guy. Like he's the guy who will stay up until 3 a.m. learning about this stuff because it's interesting because he's curious about it. Whereas for me, uh, you cannot pay me enough. Like I mm-hmm. absolutely will not be up doing this. I just, I'm like, oh my God, who can I pay to do this for me? If, if I ever, if it ever came to that. So part of it, I think when I see Newer, especially newer entrepreneurs struggling with like, oh, but do I have to do SEO? Or, oh my God, but how do I talk to my people? The question I want to put out there is like, how do you, like which of these schools of thought is interesting to you? Mm. Because so much of what we're doing is playing the long game. And if you're curious about like how to get more people following and how to use SEO and how to make your traffic go up, then I think you should follow that. If you're more interested in the in the depth of conversation with the people that you already have, well, then you go and follow that. So I think part of this really comes down to the person behind the business. Um, like Corbett said, it's just, it, both of these are very viable strategies. It's just super hard to do them both really well at the same time. So if you're trying to figure out like, which way do I go with it? Personally, I think following where your own energy is, is, is going to be the way to go. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and let me just, um, sort of put a bow on this first part and, and then we can move to the the uh, the actual content idea strategies. But the interesting thing is these two methods are converging because at the end of the day, they're not so different. The goal is to create something of value, right? So that when mm-hmm. somebody finds your content, they're like, oh my God, this is exactly what I needed. And right now, people come at them from two different places, right? One is sort of the empathetic approach, like imagining, you know, what people need and, and, and giving that to them. And then the other is the more analytical, um, writing for what people are s- typing in, right? And, mm-hmm. and what the search engines are looking for. But Google's job is to give people the, the value, the things that they want. So over time, just we've seen this in the past 10 years, the way that you do SEO has changed. Because it's less and less about tricks and loopholes and understanding the search engines and more about writing for humans. So I think these two methods are going to converge. And until they do, each side can learn from the other. Because right now, those of you, those of us who are writing from that empathetic fan-focused approach could have more impact with their content if they understood how someone might find that in a search engine and, and what you might be able to do because it might not be that difficult to turn something that's already great. That's already going to really speak to people into something that they can also find in the search engine and then vice versa. The people that are doing the analytical SEO sort of approach can learn from the empathetic people because at the end of the day, their goal is to write for humans in a way that, you know, Google finds appropriate right now. But, you know, over time, it's going to be more and more that they just need to be writing for humans. So it, it's just, it's just funny how these things are coming together, I think. And people will hear in our content approaches, our strategies that we kind of are all over the map anyway. And it's maybe not such a black and white kind of discussion. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a really, really, really good point. And that, that's, that's this like, um, this point that, that we mentioned before it, we started recording, which, which I think ties the, creates our little bridge to the next part of the conversation. Now at Fizzle, Corbett, talk about how we at Fizzle, we did sort of like accidental CEO. This is, or not CEO, sorry, SEO. We did accidental SEO. I think this is an important idea because it kind of shows that we've been writing both of these for a while. And it actually, like, it, I think in some parts of, of Fizzle's history, we've been really analytical and SEO oriented. In other points, we've been very empathetic oriented, right? And to your point, they're all kind, that's kind of converging into one. Now, the best, analytically, the best SEO comes from human oriented content. Um, and we just kind of like, we accidentally did that at Fizzle for years and years and years. And you even before with Think Traffic, talk about what, it, what you mean by this accidental SEO. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we know what P 
people are looking for and what they're interested. We, we have a, a broad idea of the categories of things that people who come to Fizzle or might be good customers are looking for. You know, SEO, we're talking about that right now because that's something people might be looking for. We know that people are looking for content ideas. We know that um, people are looking how to grow their audience. And, and so there are all these different things. And so we've written about those over time. But the way that we wrote about those wasn't usually a mechanical SEO sort of approach where we were doing research and competitor research and keyword optimization and all that kind of stuff. We would just write an article that we thought either was filling a very specific need for someone, sort of that, that empathetic approach, or there was actually, there's actually kind of a third style of writing, which is trying to write something that you think will get shared a lot, sort of the viral approach where you know, and this, this, I guess is less popular now, but for a long time, we would just write listicles, right? Or, um, or how to articles, because those were the kinds of things that could get shared a lot. And so we would either write the empathetic approach or the shareable approach. And then later, months later, we would realize that, and, and this is pointed out in, in Brendan's article, there's kind of this standard, um, form that a blog post will take after you publish it or not just a blog post but any kind of content where you get this spike in the beginning and he calls it the spike of hope and then the traffic goes away because your thing gets shared the people who are on your email list read it and then it's gone it's just buried amongst all the rest of the content and then you get what he calls the flat line of nope right the spike of hope followed by the flat line of nope well when you write something that starts to get search traffic, instead of the thing spiking and going down to nothing, you'll get this spike in the beginning like normal, but then months later, you'll look back and you'll realize, well, people are still visiting that article or they're still listening to that podcast episode. And what's going on with that? Like what, what happened? And then you realize, well, it got picked up by something, by Google or something, because there was something in there that resonated and that people are actually looking for. And then you can go back and do the analysis and see that, oh, even though I wrote this, this listicle called 81 blog topic ideas, because we thought that was a shareable thing, it turns out that Google latched onto that because it says blog topic ideas several times in the article, and it actually does a good job of addressing that. So now instead of having something that we put a lot of effort into that gets an initial burst of traffic and then nothing, now that continues to pay off for, for months and months and actually at this point, years and years. So instead of getting the typical 5,000 visitors, we have an article now that has gotten hundreds of thousands of visitors and is in a way a cornerstone piece of content that mm. continues to drive customers to this day. Mm. So that's an exciting thing. And then you start to go, well, maybe we could try to do that more frequently because you see how valuable it is. So that's kind of the accidental SEO thing that I think happens to most people. If you've been publishing content long enough, you'll just see, you know, in the rear view mirror that some content gets picked up and it's a pretty magical thing when it does. I love this. You know, it makes me feel like there's a handful of forces at work in, let's call it the market. All right. Just the market, right? There's, there's these, there's these forces at work in the market that, um, maybe there are people out there that really understand everything about it. Um, at a certain, at certain levels. Cause like, for instance, there's a business writer guy named Clayton, Clayton Christensen, right? Clay Christensen. Am I getting that right? Corbett? I, I don't know. You know, the Harvard guy, <laughs> Clayton Christensen. I don't remember. I don't know, but he thinks that a very, I, I figured, I thought it was, I thought it was like the, like one of the guys that's like, you just know, like the back of your hand, maybe not. Uh, the, he was right at a very high level about how, how humans are interacting with technology and what the market impact on that is like at a very like, you know, 10, like hundred thousand foot view over the course of massive shifts in, you know, in technologies. And that's one level where you see these market forces at work, but there's what we're talking about right here is a more intermediate level where there's definitely things going on, powers and principalities for lack of a better term that are going on, which is like people resonate with content that feels like it's a real human that wrote it. And they're really like, they're really getting there. Uh, like the, the, it has to be entertaining to me. I'm a human and people click on things that they are, they have to be able to see it in order to do that. So in order to do that, you kind of have to please these algorithm bots in a 
certain way. I, as you're talking, I'm, I'm just struck by how long it's been since I've landed on any sort of listicle of any kind. I mean, that was BuzzFeed's full-on <laughs> business strategy for several years there was just straight-up listicles. And now I haven't really... And, and I was... Now, I, now, they're, now they're, their go-to is so-and-so did such and Twitter is outraged. That's basically <laughs> all of their articles. <laughs> Totally. That's accurate. Totally. So you can watch these these publications like that who are just going with what's working because what they're doing is accidental SEO all the time. All the time. Why? Because they're publishing every day, multiple times a day, and they, their whole business lives and dies based on what, based on what's like going big. So they're like evolving with our, the market, what the market desires. Cause that's, I think, what's at the core of this. Again, what we start this big conversation with is how does content grow? And, and before that, just like the experience that Steph got when she's, when, when a particular piece of content comes by and you don't ignore it. You actually pay attention to it. Why do you pay attention? I don't know if we know, but for a lot of different reasons that, that are alive in this market force type like world, um, you know, like in the DMT world, <laughs> I guess is, is there's, there's something that's attractive to you in that for some reason. And so a lot of this content, how do we come up with content that is attractive to people? That's what we're trying to do. So we have to understand the attraction. Like, what are you attracted to? Because, I mean, maybe we need to think about this another another way. I thought you were going to say this, Corbin, when you were like, there's another uh, way of writing that you, and you said it was like the, the virality thing. I was going in the direction of this other kind of writing is scratching your own itch, right? There's this classic entrepreneur advice that's like, you know, for instance, Jack from Twitter was like, listen, the only way to be an entrepreneur is you make something that you think should exist, that you wish you had and you could use in the world. That's the only way you can do this um, at at the level that we're talking about because it's the only way that predicts what's coming because you're going with an authentic sort of point of view, like from your own, and you might be wrong, you might be wrong, but you're swinging for the fence, right? So the 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 other like element at work here is just writing to scratch your own itch. And so what I'm seeing is like the ability to write or create that scratches your own itch. So that means you become an expert at what you're attracted to. You go, oh, why do I like that Joe Rogan post? Oh, why did I pay attention to that? It's just a picture with him and his dog and he's just smiling and sweaty. Like, why, why is that interesting to me? Like, what gets, what gets me going about that? I don't know. <laughs> Think about it. You gotta be an expert of what's attractive to you because chances are that's who you're trying to attract to as people like you. And your marketing is your attraction device. Your content marketing is your tr- attraction device. And so how or mechanism rather is a better word for it. So how then do we come up with these content ideas? Let's get into it. What are the, what are five ways that we can find that or that we can use right now that can help us come up with ideas that might attract are the the audience out there that we we believe is out there that we want to be able this I mean we want this audience to support us through our entire freaking life you guys we want it to like create a successful business the audience does that the market does that right you only become a successful entrepreneur when you've nailed a market that's what we call it product market fit right why entrepreneurs when you start thinking about entrepreneurship a lot you don't you 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 have to think about this idea of product market fit because there's a point at which okay you can get something you can get something to pop and start to be known about, but then the trajectory from there, that's about product market fit. So that's like the longer term sustainability of the thing. Anyways, I love how high level we're getting in this because it's really, it's just helping me think about it. Honestly, I haven't thought about it this in this way in a long time. Um, and it just feels like rejuvenating. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sometimes it feels like such a slog putting together yeah. the content and doing all this stuff. So we've got, we've got like, these buckets or these funnels or these strategies, these are mechanisms by which we can go, all right, today I'm not writing a piece of content. I'm finding out what I'm going to write and then I'll write it. Because I feel like when you know there's a good reason to write this piece of content, whether it's an Instagram post or a podcast or a thing, when you know, when you already know sort of deep down like, oh yeah, this is worth doing, then you do it. And you do it at a level that I believe, hopefully, you know, what I've noticed in me is you do it at a level naturally that people are interested in. And when people are interested in it, crossing my fingers here, hope to God, Google's interested in it, right? This is what Google's whole future of its business is predicated on, is that it actually is providing you what, 
what you want when you search for something and what I, what, what we're realizing now, what I'm realizing is that what I want is changing over time, just like it is for the billions of other people on this planet. I used to want a listicle. Honestly, I used to think that would solve my problem. Now I know it won't. Right. And I don't feel, I don't see a lot of listicles in my search results anymore. You guys, anyways, so let's get into the, let's get into the buckets. Corbett, start us off. Where are we going with this? Yeah. So, you know, the reality of all this is to say that sometimes you just have to come up with a content idea. It doesn't necessarily have to be as deep as we just talked about because you decided that you're going to publish every Tuesday and you have to come up with something. So you, you know, you, you have these different approaches and strategies, but you know, on Tuesday, for example, for this podcast, we show up before we record and we have a little, um, little quick strategy session every time to say, what are we going to talk about today? And we use different approaches for that. And so we'll talk about several of those here, as well as approaches that Chase uses for YouTube and Steph uses for Courage and Clarity and we use for blog posts and, and so on. The first one I think that you just kind of touched on, Chase, is a good place to start. And that is, we often just ask, well, what's going on in our own lives? Has anyone done something recently in their own business? Since we're talking about entrepreneurship, we'll ask, is, has anybody done anything in their own business recently that we think our audience would be interested in for the fizzle show? An example of this would be a few weeks ago. Um, we talked about doing a group coaching program because Steph had for months prior had really great experiences with running a group coaching program. And so she felt like that was something that people might want to be interested in. So sometimes it's as simple as, Hey, Chase, like what, what's new in your business? Steph, what's new in your business? And is there something interesting enough there that we can talk about because we feel like others would as well? Yeah. This is a big, big point. And this is really like the, the, the scratching your own itch, the, the creating the thing you wish you found three weeks ago before you started this damn project. And now, you know, if someone would have just told me that thing, then I would have figured it out. And I searched beforehand how to do X, Y, and Z. But that person, the article that I read, they didn't tell me about this whole thing that totally derailed my thing. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's like I could write that piece that would be a better piece than the one I even read because it's more comprehensive for my story. Right. And I think other people are going through the same thing. Yeah. And, and this doesn't have to just apply to, uh, one individual piece of content. Obviously you said like entire businesses can be created this way or entire content strategies. I, I would say, um, your approach for, uh, doing reviews on YouTube chase is very much because you, you felt like the reviews out there just weren't showing you enough of the things that you wanted and they weren't telling you enough about how this product could be used and, and what it would be good for. And, and they weren't entertaining enough as well. And, and you kind of threw all that into a blender and came up with your own unique approach. So, you know, really what's going on in your own life or what do you wish was out there can be a really great way to come up with a content idea. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, the web pages that were out there just like, I did not have a sense of if I would, if this bag was actually going to make me like be what I wanted or not. Right. And this stuff, I think this is, yep. to me, this is the thing I think about the most. I think this is the, I, I've always thought about this with marketing. Marketing is really just like helping someone know that, yeah, this is actually what I want. You know, so they have to have this desire. Like, I want a bag that looks cool, that, that functions the way I want it to. I got like a lot of pockets for my things, but it has a light, right look. It doesn't, won't break down on me. It feels like, so this is a desire I have. And so I search and I find all these specific products that are, you know, that I think might work for this task this is what, what is called jobs to be done, which is, I think a framework that, I mean, Corbin, we should do a jobs to be done course inside of fizzle. Cause I just think it's a framework that, I mean, the roadmap really does get into this idea. We get you steeped in it, but it's not a specifically like oriented towards jobs to be done framework, but it's a framework about thinking about business. You could probably find some simple YouTube video on it and go deep enough. There's certainly a book on it. Um, it's a framework about looking at how people actually make purchasing decisions, right? How people actually make, I, I'm going to follow your account decisions. How people actually, it's about that, that, that attraction I was talking about earlier, what people are actually attracted to. Um, and so the job to be done for me was I, just, I needed a bag that, that, that looked good enough, that had enough of the pockets and the, I'm sorry, please, sorry for people who are just like, why are people talking about bags? Like, like there's a whole, there's a whole like bunch of people who are thinking about it. You don't need to know about it. Um, but this is, it's relevant because 
for me, the web that I was finding, the results that I was finding, the products, and then the way that those products were merchandised did not answer my question and make me feel confident enough to put my 150 to $200 at risk of buying something I didn't, that wasn't actually going to fit the bill, right? So that's why I started doing the YouTube channel. And now, you know, fast forward five years and it's supporting my whole family, right? Just like, I didn't even, I didn't even work on it today. And it's supporting my whole family. I didn't work on it yesterday or the day before, the day before, right? I got to do some work on it at some point here in the future. I know that. But like, that's, that's a business now because there's attraction. There's something that, that people are wanting and then they're finding an answer in the content that I'm making, right? And that's how my empire is growing. <laughs> my, my region of the, of the netherworld. Anyways, Steph, what are you hearing over there? Or should we jump into the next? Cause this is, this is the first bucket, which is, you know, uh, kind of like writing for your own thing. What would you call it, Corbett? You're like just yeah. talking about your own story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ideas from within really, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, so up next, um, Steph, why don't you talk, before we started recording, you were talking about uh, using surveys. Yes, yes. So I, I'm going to kind of combine a bunch of different ways that you can do this, but I think it's the, the heading I would put it under is drawing from people. So if we just talked about ideas from within, this would be kind of the next layer out, which would be ideas from an existing community. Now, the really cool news is if you're listening to this and you're like, that's great stuff, but I don't have a community. That's okay. You can actually use this without having any audience of your own if you're just getting started, which I'll talk about. But this is really about studying and being a scientist. Like we always talk about here on this show and in Fizzle, having that lab coat on and really going out in to the people and seeing what they are talking about. So thinking through like if I, for example, with me podcasting, um, every time I turn on my, my microphone, I, I know who I'm talking to. And I like to try to even envision like someone from my community, like a real person. It just helps me to envision that. Like, what does that person need to hear from me? And that becomes so much more real life when you know what those people are actually saying. So of course there's surveys you can send, um, you know, for me, for example, just in the past couple months, I, this always happens, and I think it happens to all of us where we're like, okay, you know, I've released 110 episodes at this point. Like, what do the people want? Let me send a listener survey and see what's out there. See what people, what, what kind of gaps that I'm not even aware of that people want to hear. And that works great when you do have an audience, but. If you don't have one, another awesome thing to do is look at people who you look up to, people who are in the same niche, who do already have an, an audience and see, like, study them, study what their audience is talking about. So a great example of this that happened to me recently was very uh, lucky for me is another podcast, the Gold Digger podcast by Jenna Kutcher. It's a great, it's a great podcast and we have a lot of crossover in our audience. She has an absolutely huge Instagram following and she recently just posted and said, Hey guys, like for those of you who listen to the podcast, what do you want to hear about? Leave a comment. And that's like a gold mine for me because we're talking about a lot of the same concepts, which is you know business and female entrepreneurship. And so I just literally took note of all of those comments and, and just threw all those comments in a Google Doc. So I have a master Google Doc of ideas between the survey results from my own community, the ideas that I've seen on that particular uh, post that I just mentioned, as well as other you know places where I'm paying attention, so that competitive research, and then also just you know paying attention to real conversations that are coming up, and that might be you know if you if you take clients, that could be conversations that you have with your coaching clients or your uh, if you're a service provider of any kind, a freelancer. What kind of issues are coming up for your clients? If it's an issue for them, it's probably an issue for the people who are the rest of the people who are consuming your content. This actually just happened to me in the episode that I. I just most recently published, at least at the time of this recording, uh, the name of the episode is, Is Your Dream Really Possible? And that was from a um, conversation that was happening in the Courage and Clarity community over on Facebook. And it was a great post that someone made all about like the fear of, that comes with having a really big dream and being afraid of being devastated if your dream doesn't happen. And I never would have thought of that idea. I, it's just like, it, it wouldn't have come from within, like Corbett was just talking yeah. about. 
that was one of those things that I had to hear from someone else and be like, oh God, I remember that feeling, but it's been a little while for me. It turned into a great episode. So, you know, there's so many different ideas for ways that you can get inspired by other people. But I like that example of that, that headline, which was, is your, is your dream really possible? Because that was the question and it was in her words. So I like not only studying who your customers are, who your listeners or, you know, people consuming your content are, but how are they describing the problem? Because I think we all get tired of like hearing our own words in our head. So going out there into the audience, seeing how they're describing it and using that to inspire content, man, you can get so many ideas by doing that. Mm. So just, just, just to kind of summarize then the first two, you know, we talked about content from within, scratching your own itch, talking about things that are going on in your own lives that might apply to other people. And then the second one, which is really a, an enormous bucket when you think about it. And we, you know, initially I was thinking we would kind of break each of these down, but you, you covered a lot of them, Steph. So talking just in general about getting content ideas from your potential customers from your listeners mm-hmm. directly. And that can be either by surveying them, by paying attention to comments, by another great one is uh, whenever someone signs up for your email list, just responding mm-hmm. and saying, Hey, thanks for signing up. Just if you wouldn't mind, a- ask, you know, answer this one question, like, what are you struggling with right now? Or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you get tons of ideas from that, uh, from talking to customers, from looking in Facebook groups, you know, in Fizzle, we have our own community and we often look there within the community to find out what people are talking about. So the, the first two major buckets again are basically content from within and then content that uh, or ideas from your listeners and, and audience directly. So then the third one, and just kind of in the interest of time, I, I, I like how these are, are really breaking down into three major categories. The third one is really all about, well, what are other people writing about? What are other people talking about on podcasts? What are my competitors writing about or talking about? And there are a lot of ways you can go about this. Um, this really came up because we talked about it last week on the podcast episode with Matt Giovannisi and, and SEO, because this is a classic SEO approach, which is you can use tools out there like Hrefs or SEMrush, and uh, you can actually go and find out specifically which articles on a website are the most popular. And so from that, you can get content ideas because, you know, if, if they're the most popular, likely people are searching for those. And then you can look at those and say, well, what's missing from this? Or how could I put a spin on this that my audience would appreciate? And so you can, you can use one of those tools or you can just go and look at someone else's site and see what have they listed in their start here page or their popular posts and get an idea of the kinds of things that they think are most popular for their audience. And then again, just kind of put your own spin on it or ask yourself, like, what could be done better than this article has already done? Yeah. And I think I want to talk about like this. Um, I, lo- I love it too, Corbett, how Steph sort of chunked this up. And what I, what I, the way I put it in my head was like, there's actively drawing from an existing community. Um, and maybe this is, it's not actually that, that helpful. I was originally like, it's actively drawing from an existing community, which looks like surveys one on one. This is like, you're initiating actual contact, like forum. Like I'm asking a question and I'm looking at the answers to the specific question in their own words. And I think the most powerful way to do this by far, which I'm sure Steph mentioned, my Skype went off <laughs> for a little bit there was the customer conversations course, <laughs> right? Like the, there's no more mm-hmm. powerful way than talking one on one with somebody. I've seen it. I've been surprised by it every single time that I've done it. And the same thing happened with one of our close friends who had a massive site. We coached him. I coached him through designing his website. And, um, and what, uh, what I had him do at first was I had him talk to 20 customers. I had him talk to, this, is, this was Scott's Din, Scott Dinsmore, who's, who's now, uh, he's, he's gone on to the next realm. Uh, we, we miss him very much. But he... He and our working together, I got him to talk to like at least 20 customers one on one and ask them these handful of questions and really hear them in their own words and record them so that I could listen to them. And in listening to those, that's where I really caught the spirit of like what the job to be done really was, what these people really wanted. So I got to just like underscore, underline that. Just like the one-on-one thing is incredible. Most people are afraid to do it. Steph's how to have these converse, customer conversations thing is a course inside of Fizzle that is utterly valuable. Love that so much. By the way, as a Fizzle Show listener, 
fizzle.co slash try five gets you five weeks for free. We don't have that advertised anywhere else. Just for listening, fizzle.co slash try five. You, you get that thing. Steph, sounds like you want to say something. No, I was just going to say, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually did not talk about customer conversations. I did not get that far. So that was a, that was a really good addition. We talked about surveys. We talked about competitive research, but then adding the actual live one-on-one conversation is an awesome way, especially when you're just starting out, I think, to really discover like what are the top, top things that my ideal person's going to be thinking and feeling. It's a huge strategy. And that course is, uh, that customer conversations course is a great place to start. And just for one second to stay on this for one more second um the the thing that i think tell me tell me what you think is so powerful in that i have my own theory on what's so powerful in these one-on-one conversations what's what do you think so powerful about that stuff i think you know i sort of mentioned this as it relates to doing surveys and things like that but there oh man there's so many there's so many layers to it what i want to say the most though is it's about the validation that comes from it will give you more confidence than you can even imagine. Like I feel like, I feel like people get into this like they the reason that people overcome their fear and just say okay fine I'll pull the bandaid off and I'll go have the conversations is because they want to know what people are saying. And and that's like in- extremely useful to get out of your own head and really like extract the actual words and phrases of the people that you speak with because it could very well send you in a different direction that'll make you more successful faster. But man, like after seeing so many of our Fizzle customers go through that course and doing it myself and having friends and clients do it, the sense of confidence that you get when you're like, wow, you know, I thought that this was a good idea that I had for a business, but when that person I talked to like told me how important it was to her and it was the difference between like her getting to live her dreams or or slogging it out at an office for the rest of her life, like it'll just light a new fire under you. Whereas like, I think it's so easy to sit in your own little office or your own little corner of your bedroom where your desk is and be like, okay, I really hope that this is a good idea. And so the confidence that it'll empower you with, it'll just, it's just jet fuel, mm. I think. Yep. No, I think you're totally right. And actually that's a, it's a deeper, better answer than when I was going to, because I was going to say the reason why these one-on-ones are so powerful or one-on-one customer conversations are so powerful is because you hear it in their own words. And now that was actually, a, a that was like one of the like, one of the reasons why I think it builds that sense of confidence and hearing you talk about that, it makes me remember all the times that I've had those conversations and it really is. It's that sense of confidence mm-hmm. and validation that totally changes my perspective when I come to my work and when my perspective and I see different possibilities, now I'm capable of actually finding a solution instead of just like, you know, tr- like having some idea, not having any other ideas. So trying this idea, putting everything on this one idea, instead of having a more broad open perspective where, where I have a little more energy just to draw on and come, I don't know. And there's more likelihood I'm going to be able to push it through, you know? But I think of, I think of these active things like actively asking a question in a forum in your uh, actively running a survey for your audience, actively reaching out to people who subscribe on your email address with an email that says, Hey, what's one thing you're struggling with right now as a, as a bag searcher or as a new dad or as a whatever it is that your like, site is about, right? These are active things. Then I draw a distinction between that and then what I'll call, I mean, they're not passive, but they're like, it's like a passive kind of thing or more. Again, I don't think passive is the right word, but like, I'll, I'll stick with it. Just help me figure out a new word if you got one. But like, it's this, what I call, uh, what we've been talking about, the, the sort of keyword research, like Corbett mentioned, the, a tool like Ahrefs, right? Where you can see how many times does this particular word or phrase get searched on the internet? And how does that compare with these terms and phrases over here? Um, and then which one gets searched for more? Maybe I'll write my post about that instead because there's, there's just literal, there's literally more people searching for that, right? This is where I, I call it passive just because I'm not reaching out to an existing audience and looking for in, in like direct engagement. Um, and this is where I think we'll do competitive research, uh, what I call swarm research, which is really just keyword research. I call it swarm because what you're, what, what's inherent is, in it is this th- decision that what the, mo- what most people are doing is what I should be doing, right? What most people are searching for. Actually, there's an interesting distinction there. What most people, how regular people, how most regular people look to solve this problem, literally what they type into Google, right? 
That is sort of the end all and be all. That's the holy grail. That's what I pay attention to. That's very different than what I would call the mindset of competitive research, which is what other people are already doing, what other entrepreneurs are doing is what, I, is what I'm going to make my holy grail and I'm going to follow that. I'm going to figure that out and see what works. And I think that second bit, that competitive research, we need to be really careful about this because it can be very helpful in coming up with new ideas, getting you unstuck, seeing something that you might already know, but you don't know you know yet like Corbett mentioned the example of going on someone's start here page and that's like a great that's a great example of a place to go like Pat Flynn's start here page that's a thesis that's Pat's thesis about what people need help with He's literally saying with this start here page, these are the things people come here for help on. These certain things. You might be needing help on starting a podcast. You might be needing help on creating your first ebook. You might be, whatever's on there, that's what he's saying. Like people are coming to my site already with this need or desire, this felt need or desire, right? And that can be really helpful, but it can also take you into a direction where you're just doing what's already been done and you're not bringing forward and bringing out and birthing through this thing that you need to do, which is, which is, I think there's something in success in that, you know, where it's like, you got to do something new. You got to do something that's just you. You got to do something that's, that, and we learn on everything. We learn from everything that's come before. So competitive research, right? But we also got to do that first bit sometimes where it's like, what's the way that I think people actually want it to be done? Because how, or what's, let me say that again. What's the way that I think people actually want to receive the information, the content, the value, right? Because that insight is what will ultimately be what Google is optimizing for tomorrow. And I think that is now the, the algorithm is moving so fast. Google's algorithms are moving so fast that we have like, if you're not thinking like that, you might just be an also ran, right? Do you know what I mean by that? Like also ran, like just like, like, have you ever heard of, of, of presidential debates or presidential who run, who ran against who back? I don't remember. I didn't know that, uh, you know, this, this person ran, like Joe Biden ran for something at some point, I ran for president at some point or something like that before, before he ran against someone a long, like a while ago. And I didn't know that at all. Because he was an also ran. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But the person who did win, they became president. <laughs> we know that name, right? Um, and I think he was just running in like the Democratic Party or something. Anyways, the point being, you can be an also ran and you can put a lot of work into something, but because you're never really giving it your, your true, like, kind of like, I don't know, your, like your true way of doing it that you think it should be done, you're never really listening to yourself, it might actually... I think like I think success history sort of bears this out that it might just it might not lead to the to the to the results you're actually wanting for unless you give give yourself some of that right anyways we're right here at the end of this thing Corbett can you like how do you see these these buckets I was just talking about how I see it a little bit like passive versus active right or swarm versus individual maybe is a better way of thinking about it or out there versus in here like we talked about before right and the overall yeah. conversation is like, is integrating using to, I think using tools from both of these, maybe speak on that. It almost seems like we have to use tools from both of these, don't we? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I would, I would probably, uh, describe it in terms of three categories. You've got your audience, yourself, and your competitors as sources for content ideas. And to relate back to the original um, conversation where we were talking about the difference between writing for people and hoping that they spread your, you know, they help you grow versus writing for the search engines or, or however you want to describe it. Um, again, just to reiterate, I think each side can learn from one another because ideally you would write something for people that really resonated deeply and provided a lot of value, but at the same time also had the potential of drawing a lot of people from search engines or social media or however else you feel like it should be spread. So, you know, I think if you feel like you are one of the heavily empathetic people who always just think about your audience, um, try thinking about how this content might get shared or discovered. And if you're one of the more analytical people that always thinks about search engines, instead, 
try thinking about uh, a specific person and how they might draw value from this piece of content. Yeah, I think that's a really well put. Like these are the three sources. I, mean, I love this because I mean, if you think if you think about it, we've had this whole conversation. Really, we could to discover, and now the people who are listening to if, if someone was really listening to this conversation and really tracking. And then Corbett says, "There's so basically it looks like there's three sources for coming up with content ideas: the audience, yourself, and your competitors. Right? That's a perfect summary of this entire conversation. Right? Doesn't get into all the nuance and all the subtlety and detail. But like because we went on this, this is why I love podcasts so much because we went on this journey of exploration and we heard from multiple perspectives and nobody really stood up and said I know everything. Like we all of a sudden get this perspective on it. it's like okay wow yeah." I call it integrative, right? It's not just one or the other. It's using all three, the audience, self, and the competitors. And I think as an entrepreneur, if we can keep, I bet you guys agree, if we can if we can help people keep a balance of looking at all of these three and keeping the sort of plates spinning on these three, um, and it's not that many to look at, right? It's just three. It's like a juggler, like you're just not juggling with two balls, right? There's only Juggling only starts when there's, when there's three balls and two hands. There's always one more ball than you have hands. I'm saying balls a lot. And I like balls. Juggling balls, I'm saying here. This is... Well, <laughs> speaking of saying things, I don't know if you really said this, but the way your Skype broke up for a second, I could swear that you said the word exploration <laughs> earlier. <laughs> Did you catch that, Steph? I did not. Oh, man, Steph, I, did I not. see that. Because we went on this exploration. <laughs> I see that as a hashtag in in your Instagram. It's in the future, for sure. I'm totally about the exploration. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. totally about the exploration. Um, anyways, yep. uh, I feel like this was an awesome conversation. Thank you guys for, for being on here and, and, you know, sharing from the hips as you were. I love doing these conversations where we're kind of like, we've got a sense of where we're going, but we're really like, we're going to figure out as, as we go live. That was awesome. Thank you guys for joining. That was fun. Thank Thanks. you. You got it. And uh, okay, so this is episode, those listeners back at home, this is episode 286. So all the show notes that you need for this, just go to fizzleshow.co slash 286. That's fizzleshow.co slash 286. That's where you're going to find everything. Thanks for listening. Find care. Take care, serve hard and dig in, and we'll talk to you next week on The Fizzle Show. Bye-bye.